Well, welcome to Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. We're glad to have you join us for today's show. In this episode, we're going to talk about being a Christian leader and leading during crisis. It's based off of Shane's blog, Leading the Church in Crisis. You can find that at RevShaneBishop.com. Let me bring in Shane. Shane, how's it going today? Mike, would you say this is our big comeback? I mean, you know, I mean, people have been saying, hey, where is Navigating Change with Shane and Mike? Is, is this our big comeback? Yeah, this is all a part of a strategy. We're building a lot of suspense. You know what Let's I mean? Let's be honest. Neither of us are that smart. No, Mike. no way. <laughs> neither of us are that smart. No. So, so I'm guessing we didn't make a few episodes. There's this huge public outcry. There we is. want Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. Is yeah. that kind of what's happened here? That's kind of what's happened. Actually, I, I had to take a little bit of time off. Had a, a family crisis that we were going through. My father-in-law at the end of July, um, basically got taken to the ER. My wife got that call in the middle of the night that you never want to get. Come to find out that he did uh, have uh, brain cancer, terminal glioblastoma. And so we've been walking through that process the last couple of months. And then at the uh, end of September, he, he did lose his life. So that's kind of thrown my world uh, upside down. And uh, now we're getting back into it. Definitely miss doing the podcast. Definitely miss doing this with you. Well, Mike, I can say on behalf of myself and, and everybody that listens, we, we send you our deepest sympathies and condolences to to your wife, Valerie, and, and to your family. We're, we're really sorry uh, for your loss. Well, thank you so much. It, it was a difficult time, but a part of life, and we really enjoyed uh, celebrating my father-in-law's uh, life. So... That's kind of where we're at. So not a great transit, not a great way to transition out of that. But that's where we have been in crises. In crises, that's about the best we could do. Yeah. So uh, Shane, Christian leaders, they find themselves in really a difficult position today. Really, we've never needed leadership uh, more than we do right now. But yet, it is very hard to lead in this current culture. So how do we effectively lead in such times? We're going to start to go into your blog now. And the first thing that you say is that people have to define their core values. That's what a Christian leader has to do to make their way through crises. Yeah, I think a lot of times as leaders, you know, you've got what I call the Bill Clinton leader, which you you just sort of lick your finger and stick it in the air and you see which ways the the winds blow in and you, you go with them, right? Yeah. Um, and there are times that I think it's actually fairly good leadership. It's, it's just navigating in good times, you know. Yeah. But when times get tough, you need decisive leadership. And that cannot be pragmatic because if our, if our leadership is pragmatic or if we're feeling pressured into it politically, we will not hold when things get tough because right. we're not standing on something firm. Yeah. It's like swinging a sword on ice. You can swing the sword, but you can't keep your footing and swing the sword. So for me, core values are, are our most deeply held values. Uh, they're, they're not pragmatic. They're not for sale. They're not up for discussion. Mm-hmm. Politics don't change those core values. So I, I think we have to lean into what is authentically true to us, mm-hmm. what is our call to leadership about, and what are we about what is it we truly believe because in tough times and if you're leading in tough times 
if you don't have that down, you're always going to be swinging your sword on ice. Right. And to your point about core values and, and how they kind of ground us, I, I think that you could look at it a couple of ways. First of all, whenever you know your core values, you really can't be pushed around that mm-hmm. much, right? So yeah. from all what's going on in the culture, what people are saying around us, if you know your core values, it keeps uh, people just from pushing you off of your course. And with that being said, core values also, they do give us a course to take. Yeah, and, and the other thing, Mike, I think in a divisive culture, particularly a, a, not only a divisive culture, but one that has a lot of energy in, in, instilled in it, people are often going to push on leaders to see if they give. Hmm. And if they give even a little bit, then that becomes, it becomes the Achilles heel. Right. And so I, I think a lot of times... Opposition, I think Satan always works like this, right. just pushes on you a little bit to see, is there an opening? Is there something that gives in the core? If there is, it becomes a wide open hole through which we can be attacked. When you operate in your core values, there's not going to be those gaps because you're operating from who you truly are. Right. Do you think with the old world and new world, because it's not that someone would compromise their core values, but there was more maybe negotiating room with people. And now it does feel like there's so much push. Like for me as a leader, sometimes I want to give, you know, a little bit of room to people. But I I do feel at times that when you give a little bit, gosh, people will take a lot now. And uh, is is there just a a change that you've seen from the old to new world with that. Yeah, I think it's a, a shift from what I'm going to call peacetime to wartime. You know, Winston Churchill said you cannot appease an aggressor. And in wartime, uh, you, you feel that aggression coming upon you. In peacetime, pragmatism, negotiation, diplomacy <laughs> work really well. You know, in, yeah. in wartime, anything that you show will be interpreted as weakness by the enemy if you are not solid in that. Right. So even grace sometimes can be interpreted as weakness right. in wartime. You know? And so for me, those core values just give us a place to stand. And and you don't discover those immediately. A lot of people may not even be clear. Yeah about what their own core values are. They've been acting out of those their whole life, but they may not even be able to put their own uh, thumb on what their core yeah. values are. you got to know yourself in divisive times to be a leader, and then you have to lead from that sense of self. I think especially for young leaders, Shane, they may not have an idea what their core values are. You know, yeah. They may have a general idea. They may know what grandma and grandpas were, what their parents yeah. were, maybe the organization that they were involved in, but what are their core values? And I do think a way that people can figure out their core values if they're unclear about it is look how they handled their last crises. Hmm. If they go back to that last crisis, I guarantee that their core values were at work, whether consciously or subconsciously. Yeah. So I think for young leaders, if they're just really not sure, what is, mm-hmm. what are my core, if they're honest with themselves, sometimes we want some noble core values that we really don't have. I found right. that in myself at times too, and I think there's been some refining in some of those personally. But if we go back to that last crisis that we went to, especially if you're a young leader, your core values were there. I think you can find them if you just go and dig. And one great question is, why did I do that? Why did I act in that way? Why did I make that decision? Why does that bother me? 
Those are great questions. And I think young leaders, it's, it's a huge advantage, Mike, if you have a mentor, mm-hmm. an older leader to help you even articulate those questions. Yes. But I think all young leaders have to answer those. Because I think when we come up, our core value is that we disagree with much of what we see. Because we all come up and we see what is, we think it could be better. We, we've yeah. got, you know, but having, being against someone else's core values doesn't mean you have core values. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is a process of maturation that has to happen there. And that process is, is just owning one's own self. It's, it's owning one's own leadership. It's knowing yourself well enough to say, at least I know why I think the way I think, at least I know why I act the way I act. And that kind of self-knowledge, I think, is essential to leadership during divisive times. Yeah, they say the softest pillow at night is a clear conscience. And finding those core values can definitely do that. All right, so first, we just talked about leading and defining defining our core values. Next, leading as a Christian leader during crisis, we need to lead prayerfully. What do you think about leading prayerfully, Shane? Well, first thing, as I wanted, would want to say, is, is I'm really being serious here. A lot of times we, we act like prayer is, is sort of an esoteric kind of concept, you know. We pray, but, you know, we all know it doesn't really do much good. And, you know, so we'll have a <laughs> perfunctionary prayer before a meeting. Yeah. Now, I, I'm really not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about serious prayer and the utilization of spiritual gifts. I think those things become necessary when the path's not clear. And a lot of times when we are on familiar paths, when this same problem comes up that's come up forever, we, we really have a, uh, a methodology, a proven way to approach things. Yeah. But when you got new problems, when stuff's hitting us that's at least never hit in our generation, mm-hmm. uh, at least we're having to make decisions on things where the path isn't clear. It's not well-established. It is controversial. I think hearing and heeding the Holy Spirit in those times not only can help you navigate, but if you really hear God, you'll end up looking like a genius. Absolutely. And I think this begins to line up with kind of our core values, leading prayerfully, and even you touched on it, the gifts that we have. Uh, For young leaders in particular, I think you got to fire figure out what your spiritual pocket is. You know Mm -hmm. in the NFL, the quarterback that plays out of the pocket is usually the most effective one. Maybe they can run out for a little bit, but the one that can play in the pocket is the most effective uh, quarterback. The most effective player can run the offense the best. I think we need to figure out what our spiritual pocket is. How is God calling us to lead? Is our leadership, uh, you know, is it a leadership of encouragement? Well, we need to begin to pray in a way that puts us in position to encourage people. Is that partly organizing and encouraging ministry? We need to begin to pray in that way. And then whenever we understand what those gifts are, what those core values is, we find our spiritual pocket. And from there, I think we'll see some serious movement in prayer. Yeah, and you know, another thought in in divisive times when the path isn't clear, I just think it's a perfectly legitimate prayer to say, Dear God, I have no real idea what I'm doing. Yeah, I, I don't have a, yeah. a map yeah. for this. I got nothing. And if yeah. you don't lead me in this, yeah. there's really nothing optimistic <laughs> that is going to come from any of this. I, I just like being honest before the Lord. And let's be real clear. You can't be honest on social media. 
you'll 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 be absolutely yeah. scathed for it. Yeah. You know, I, I look at our culture today. You know what I wish somebody would say? I wish some leader somewhere would say we have we're we're shooting at a moving target. The uh, assumptions are always shifting. We have no real idea what we're doing, mm-hmm. but we are doing our best, and we hope you'll give us the benefit of the doubt. I cannot tell you how much I would gravitate <laughs> toward a message like that, but that message would not be well-received in our conference or in our uh, culture mm-hmm. because people want somebody to be decisive even if they're wrong. And right. if I really look at what I would have to say uh, with the pandemic and a lot of other things, nobody's ever seemed uncertain, but people are wrong time and time and time again. And I think when we operate off of human intellect, when we mm-hmm. operate, we can call it the science, but you know, when we operate on something that's always changing, yeah. uh, then we don't have uh, that firm footing. Again, we're swinging that sword on ice. But if we can learn to, to pray, and if we can actually hear God's voice, at times it may not make sense. At times it may be counterintuitive. But I am at a point in my life, I better trust my ability to yeah. hear God than I trust my own ability to make decisions when I have no idea what the facts are. Absolutely. Leading prayerfully becomes important in that. And I was thinking with young leaders, too, on the, on the other side of things. Uh, you know, they may need to, it may be their time to start following their gut. If they feel like they are in tune with maybe what's going on in the culture, it may be time for them to take a risk. You know, that, but that comes back to prayer. You know, figuring out what God is saying to them in their time uh, so that they can lead. But Mike, older leaders, one of the disadvantages of being an older leader, particularly if you've been successful, is that your go-tos have worked for you in the past. But imagine that everything has changed and those go-tos can't or won't work anymore. So all of a sudden, every impulse you have is wrong. A younger leader doesn't have a history of success. They really come at this more as a blank page. And I'm going to say in changing times and in crises, Mm -hmm. a blank page is actually possibly more advantageous than having 30 years okay. of statistics on the back of your sure. baseball card if things have changed to the point that everything you know is currently wrong. Right. And, and when, so you're getting me to think here. So in that, especially with that scenario, do you also think that the, the young leader isn't thinking about the roadblocks that you've already experienced? So maybe that's even a hindrance, right? You're like, I'm not going to go in this direction because I know the roadblocks are coming, but a young leader... Uh, doesn't know that and possibly the roadblocks wouldn't be there for them. Yeah, and, and it, I think as an older leader, when we do not have clarity, we, we go back to our defaults. And our defaults are normally what worked for us in the past. Uh-huh. But I know, I can tell you right now, a lot of what worked for me in the past isn't going to work now. The world's changed. Right. So younger leaders don't really have those defaults. Okay. So they They're are not, not being enticed set. Not set yet. Yeah. by a set of of skills that no longer work. And so in some senses, maybe they are, if you put it secularly, maybe they are in a better position to be intuitive in changing times and in a new culture. In a theological position, maybe they have less temptation to try to draw from a well where the poison, where the water isn't good anymore. Well, what would be interesting because a default will be set for those young leaders. That is correct, especially if it is effective, if it is rewarded. What will be interesting is that if the if the culture steadies, right, 
and then they are used to this type of crises, you know, and the decisions that were made in the crises may not work in a stable time. So who knows? Some of those leaders 10 years down the line may not be the same type of leader you were 10 years down the line. Well, I think leadership is often determined by the times. You know, if, if you want to do a quick historical study, you could look at Ulysses S. Grant. Most people would consider him to be the most effective general in American history, along with George Washington and a handful of others. If there's not a civil war, Ulysses S. Grant is a forgotten general at best mm-hmm. who was never particularly good at anything but drinking. And, and the reality is the Times produced a situation where a man of his skill set could emerge. Honestly, even though he was elected president, the second the Civil War ended, uh, everything began drifting back the wrong direction for him. So, yeah, I think there are times. Uh, and I think for some leaders, they're going to be effective leaders over their entire lifetimes. Other leaders, their contribution may be for a short transitional period. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is what they were built for, leading through this or being a bridge. One of the things I'm very aware of now is part of my legacy is going to be leaving, building a bridge between an old world and a new world. Helping, helping uh, the people of the old world adapt to a new one and helping equip some of the people of this new world to assimilate some people from the old world. But I see myself as, as a bit of a transitional figure at this point, whereas before this, I always saw myself more purely as, as a leader. I still see myself as a leader, but as an older, mature, transitioning leader who's helping other people transition and creating transition. Very different uh, stage. Well, that leads us to our, our third point about leading in crises, and that is to lead strategically. That's uh, something sounds like you've had to adjust uh, to. Uh, maybe your strategy was a little bit different, but walking into this new world, your strategy seemed to have changed. Well, I know that for me, I think about what kind of people do I want to follow. Impulsive leaders do poorly in times of crises. They, they just do poorly. They're too jittery. Uh, they overreact to... Their losses, they're unduly buoyed by their victories. I mean, it's just this kind of manic. I don't want to follow an impulsive leader. I don't want to follow a leader that for every moment there's a brand new crisis. I like strategic leaders because they play for the long game. They they can get up out of the weeds. They can get their plane up to 10, 20, 30,000 feet, kind of see a little bit of a big picture. So I kind of like developing a game plan as soon as you can, running it, making adjustments. There are times you simply cannot do that. You're just having to stay alive today and to adjust. But I always think about football coaches at halftime. The good football coaches make adjustments at halftime. And halftime is is getting you off the field. Nobody's trying to hit you. You can breathe for a few minutes and during those few minutes. So I would say in transition divisive times, yeah. you just got to navigate. But the second you can breathe, I think you got to lead strategically. Absolutely. So leading leading strategically. So uh, I think one of the things that's come to mind with this is that you, a, person cannot, a leader cannot let the uh, crisis overwhelm them. They have to see kind of the bigger picture 
in general whenever they're starting to lead strategically. Is that what you're saying, Shane? Well, I think a, a good leader has to have a vision for the end game. And that end game has to, in some way, be preferable to chaos. And so as a leader, being able to hold steady, because people need steadied. Yes. They, they just need steadied. And you cannot be unsteady and steady others. I think in a time of crisis, too, that steadiness is a ministry of the church, a ministry that happens through Christian leaders. So... If we're feeling the pressures of like being leaders in sure. crisis, there are people who have no core values or don't right. know what their core values right. are. There are people who are weak in their faith or without any faith at all. And I do think uh, part of looking at that longer term kind of uh, goal or, or idea saying, okay, I need to be steady as a leader through this. And this is actually going to help the people that are following me mm-hmm. because they it will be a uh, you know, just a ministry that it reaches into their life and heart too. Well, strategic leadership always begins with the end game. Where do we hope to be? Then let's define that. Then let's work back from there. Right. I remember some years ago, a married couple was having a ton of trouble and they were going to split up for a time uh, before they, they divorced, but they were going to split up for a time. And I remember sitting down with one of them and I said, what do you hope happens in three years? And they said, we hope we are reconciled. And I said, then don't do anything now that would make that eventual outcome impossible. So a lot of times in crises, if you're not a strategic leader, you will make decisions that actually make that hoped for outcome impossible. You know, if you're in that married couple situation and you decide you're going to confide in your parents and tell them what a horrible person your spouse is, you may reconcile with your spouse, but your parents will always think that spouse is terrible. And if what you want is a functional family, you've actually sabotaged that. So strategic leadership is saying, this is what we hope the desired outcome is going to be. And making sure that your actions make that at least possible. Right, and as leading as a Christian leader with that, we can't do it on our own. That's why your fourth point here is to think team whenever we are leading as Christians through crises. Well, I, I think in the past, uh, you know, particularly when you talk about the mega churches across the country mm-hmm. that grew in the in the 2000s, I, I think the solo heroic leader, now, you know, that baby boomer solo heroic leader, They were the ones everybody always looked to. They got all the rewards. They got all the accolades. But right now, I don't think long-term winning streaks are possible because I don't even think the metrics hold. I don't even think we know how to measure things anymore. So strategic leaders, I think, are going to need the collective intelligence and the support of a gifted team. I think that'll do two really good things. First of all, for the leaders themselves, I think there's a protective filter in that because you're just admitting, I don't know all the answers. I'm not Superman. I'm not right. Superwoman. I actually need my team. And I think there's something real protective in that. And the other thing is I don't, I cannot imagine any organization in America that would be more exposed than a church led by a single heroic leader. Right. Because if that leader would get hit by a bus, if there would be a moral failing, sure. They would take that whole thing down with them. And we've seen it across the country. We've seen it happen time and time again. So I believe on the other side of this, leading in crisis, we got to think team. 
we got to think teamwork. And yeah. part of that is the leader has to swallow ego enough to yeah. not think me and my team. You know, it's the difference between me being a solo singer right. and having musicians play for me and being a part of a band. We need to be bands now, not just solo singers. I think there's been a lot of mythos just around leadership in general. You talk about the solo leader. That's something for a generation that was in the heart of them. You that's know, correct. Looking for this Superman, Superwoman. That's correct. And, and that's incredible. I think the unrealistic side of it, even with the solo leader, they're, they're always standing on someone's shoulders. They always had hope. Now in our culture right now, I do think the mythos is around this team, but not just uh, like a real, like we got the Justice League. I think I've said this before. We got uh, the Avengers, you know, these incredible solo people, or you talked about with music, you bring in the voice. Yeah, right. You bring in all these kind of solo artists together. And there's mythos about that as well. But I think that no matter what, there's going to have to be one person calling the shots still. Absolutely. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's going to happen no matter what. But I do think that right now for this culture, however long it will last, uh, anointing is maybe a strong word, but I do think with Christian leaders, the culture, Christian culture in America right now, whenever they see a team, they see a, a bit of an anointing. But I really think it has to do more with the mythos of leadership with this generation. Yeah, and I don't think the... Uh... I think with the baby boomers, I think the heroic solo leader was not limited to churches. I think you had businesses, you had CEOs of corporations, where the whole idea was this this, this Superman. And then look at what the next generation does to Superman. All of a sudden, Superman's not almost invincible. Now Superman oh, yeah. is fundamentally flawed. Now Superman is like all of us. Superman is indecisive. Sometimes he uses his power for good, and sometimes it's not so yeah. good. So in a sense, the generation after the baby boomers have had to sort of reinvent Superman. Now the question becomes, uh, what is next? Because just weakening Superman doesn't really help you with Lex Luthor. <laughs> so what is next? Yeah. And, and my thinking is the team yeah. is next. But teams will be led. And they will have to be ably led, but I do think it's a different paradigm. It's different. All right, finally, Shane, you said when you are a leader, a Christian leader in crisis, that you really can't wait on 100% support. So what type of support do, does a Christian leader need during crisis? I figure I need about 80% support to make a, a bold move. I, I'd prefer 90 some years ago, we were in the worship wars, and that's when contemporary worship and organs were in an argument over who was going to dominate church. And, and I remember being in the midst of that and talking to a worship leader, and the worship leader said, I am getting all kinds of complaints. And I said, stop. How many complaints did you actually get? And they said, just dozens. I said, stop. How many complaints did you actually get? Seven. So they had seven complaints. Back then the church was running, let's say a thousand. I said, I need you to understand, I can function with 80% support. So if you get 400 complaints, give me a call. Give me a call. But other than that, we're going to press on. And so I think part of this idea is that we have to wait for 100% support. I think there was this uh, kind of goofy idea that organizations would move by consensus. And consensus simply meant you didn't really vote on anything, but everyone was in agreement. What really happened with consensus is that the predominant voice always got their way because the people who would have voted against it are silenced. 
in the name of consensus. And what seemed like something healthy was really not healthy at all. You're really far better off to have 95% support right. than you are 100 support if that 100% support isn't authentic. Mm. And so uh, for me, a lot of this is just saying, hey, we're never going to have everybody on base. So I can't allow hate mail, if you will, to distort the strength of my opposition, nor can I uh, let a couple of, you know, way to go cards make me think that my position is stronger right. than it is. So I, I really think when you look at the end of the day, happy people normally quietly support with their feet or with their wallets. It's unhappy people who make noise. There's always going to be a certain amount of those people. So if you are a leader and you're waiting for 100% support, you will never lead. And I think for young leaders, they need to know that, uh, you know, people leaving, maybe you get 80, 85% support and some people leave. That's normal and healthy. It is. It creates opportunities for new leaders to, to rise up. The people who left doesn't mean they're evil. It right. could be that they're going to go some uh, somewhere and contribute in a really cool way as well. Also, if you get 80% support or 80, you know, that high percent, that is a discerning uh, mechanism within the body that says this is a good direction to go. Well, look at our culture today, Mike. If a politician wins with 51% of the vote, they think they have a mandate to change the whole world. We're, we're talking 80%, 90% support. So I'm going to say in a church, 100% support is a pipe dream. You're never going to have that. But making sure that you have a super majority of support is absolutely necessary. Shane, do you have any final words about being a Christian leader and leading during crisis? Well, one thing is for leaders and at any level, you just got to understand right now, leadership is like walking across a Midwestern cow pasture in the winter. You're not going to be able to see what's under there. You will step in something and part of it's going to be fresh and explode all over your boots. So that is the reality right now. I think we are going to have perpetual crises for the rest of my active ministerial career. And I'll tell you why. Because there's good money in crises. There's good money in division. There's good money in keeping people riled up. So as long as people want to focus on social media, uh, which we're finding out that despite all of their claims to the contrary, they're working pretty hard to keep people riled up. Uh, as long as we want to keep getting our news from, uh, you know, highly, highly biased news sources, we're going to stay riled up because that's what they do. That's how they make a living. So I think most of America is going to be in a state of perpetual crises. Can you imagine three years ago, if you would take Donald Trump out of the news, you would say, what will they report on? Well, right now, if they took COVID out of the news, what would they report on? But I guarantee you, the next is already coming and something else is going to be there and it's going to keep everybody divided and stirred. We cannot fix that. We can't fix it as Christian leaders. That is the water that we're going to have to swim in. And so the bottom line is we're going to have to learn to lead in perpetual crisis. There's an old joke, and I'll say this in closing, and it's a great joke because it's not funny. This, uh, These two fish are swimming in the water, and this old fish is just standing there with his, arm, with his fins folded watching them. And the two fish swim by the old fish, and the old fish says, how's the water, boys? 
And the two young fish say, what's water? And it's often been said, if water were ever be, to be discovered, it would not be a fish that would discover it. And certainly not a young fish. Turmoil, perpetual crisis, is the water in which we now swim. The old fish know it's not always been so. The young fish do not. We're going to have to lead in this culture. These are our times. And the question becomes, how do we lead in perpetual crises? Well, thank you for joining us for Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. We would love for you to subscribe, share, and review our podcast. If you'd like to hear more from Shane or I, visit our websites, RevShaneBishop.com or RevMikeWu.com. We'll talk with you next time, and make sure that you keep the change.